You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, what's going on, all you dog-loving peeps out there? Tom Davis, America's Canine Educator. Welcome back to the no Bad, the, the award-winning, top-charting No Bad Dogs podcast. Uh, today, we have an awesome guest, and I just want to be transparent and honest with you guys. Is I get emails, Taylor and I get emails every single week from people um, requesting to get in the, the podcast and talk about you know their product or their book, and just normal podcast stuff. Everybody gets it, but um, I, I don't want to for you guys. I, your time is valuable. My time is valuable. Everybody's time is valuable and worth everything. And so when I saw this email come across from Dr. Gary Richter, I was very excited because this is something I want to bring to the podcast for a long time, which is the, the conversation about raw food, the benefits of it. Dr. Gary Richter is, is an author. He's a celebrated coach on wellness and nutrition for your pets, living a better life, a longer life, a healthier life. And, uh, also, when I'm talking on my on my other podcast uh, content, if you will, I'm talking about dog training and we're talking about the things you should and shouldn't be doing and we're leading the conversation and we're answering questions as, as the professional and or whatever. But this podcast just isn't that. I, I like to have guests on that I think are beneficial to my audience, which is you guys, as well as me, which is why I don't have people on my podcast that I really don't care to talk to. Because the information or the topic just isn't that cool for you guys to learn. I'm, I'm, I'm very respectable of your time. So this is very important to me because I get these questions all the time. What do you feed your dog? Thompson, he's a 12-year-old St. Bernard. What do you feed him? Lola, she's a 17-year-old mutt. What do you feed her? I mean, what do I feed my dogs is raw food. I fed him a raw diet for a long time. This is a person who's literally wrote the book on the benefits of raw food. And we're going to be going over the questions I think that you guys would want to know. And I want to know too. I was deriving the entire conversation from me. As a dog owner, not a not a trainer, because we weren't talking about behavior. So I took a seat in the passenger seat and asked the questions as a dog owner that I wanted to know. And I know you guys will, will love to hear the answers too. So anyway, without further ado, we're going to have Gary Richter on the podcast right now. And before I do, really quickly, I want to let you guys know that we have an awesome new No Bad Dog Members Club. It's the official No Bad Dogs Club if you guys aren't a part of it, it's something that's really special. It's creating an absolutely beautiful, beautiful community. I want to say it's a safe place for us to talk about dog training, dog training questions, um, personal experiences. You also are getting full-length content. So you're getting unreleased podcast. You're also getting full-length YouTube videos. So you guys are seeing my YouTube videos. They're 10, 15 minutes. You guys are getting hours of footage of the whole process. It's $19.99. It's a subscription-based program. You can cancel at any time if you wanted to. 
It's a great No Bad Dog Army uh, official club, and I'm going to leave the link in the description below if you guys want to join, if you guys want to support the No Bad Dog movement. It would be awesome. If not, enjoy the podcast either way. Hi, my name's Dr. Gary Richter. I am a veterinarian in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, I've been in practice almost, but not quite, 25 years. Uh, And my practice these days is what I would describe as integrative, uh, meaning that we offer both conventional Western medical solutions as well as, as well as holistic alternative solutions like acupuncture, chiropractic, herbal therapy, physical therapy, um, hyperbaric oxygen, ozone, et cetera. Uh, and certainly there's a lot of focus. Uh, I put a lot of focus on, um, on nutrition uh, with my patients as well, because, you know, at the end of the day, if, if their nutrition is not right, it is difficult, if not impossible to fix a lot of other things that, that go wrong. So it's really, it's kind of the foundation of everything. So, uh, you know, so I spent a lot of time talking with people about nutrition, writing about nutrition, um, in an effort to kind of make these guys as healthy as they can possibly be. Okay. Great. Now, usually when I talk to anybody, regard it doesn't matter what they're doing, there's usually like a spark. Was there a spark for you that did you have a personal experience or was it something that you wanted to specialize in because there was a lack thereof? Was there any of that when you when you started getting into more of this holistic um, niche, if you will? You know, for me, it was just it was just kind of a. Um, a desire to always look for something else out there that I could use to help my patients more than what I was currently doing. And and that's still true. Um, You know, I mean, I think as a, as a medical professional, we're all on some level lifelong learners. Uh, And, and, you know, for me, what that means is, is I'm always on the lookout for what else is out there, either new or, or, or old that uh, that can be incorporated into animal health care to, to make these animals live better, feel better, et cetera. Right. Cool. So you're just on the, you're just on the hunt to, to make animals better. And, and going down this path was kind of a natural uh, organic growth of leaning towards into these newer and sometimes older undiscovered things. That's correct. Cool. Very cool. So what's the, what's, and I know my listeners are all mostly dog owners and, uh, from all different shapes and sizes. What's the biggest thing that you find? Because right now you're, are you, you're still practicing, obviously. Are you, do you have like an office? Do you special, do you, do you just do specialty stuff? What is your, what is your normal day look like when you're working with clients these days? I mean, my normal day. So yes, I, I have an office. I still see patients. Um, uh, you know, what does a normal day look like? It looks like me, you know, having a, a, a full appointment book full of, of people coming in with their pets for, for any number of reasons, ranging from, you know, wellness care and preventative care to things like arthritis, chronic gastrointestinal issues, um, skin problems, behavioral problems, uh, you know, orthopedic issues. I mean, it just goes on and on. So, so it's always something different, uh, you know, every day. But uh, you know, I think the one thing about about my practice is everything operates a little bit slower than I think most people are used to in in a regular general practice. So, for example, 
my initial consults uh, for animals I haven't seen before are an hour long um, because I find that it takes that long to really have a yeah. comprehensive conversation about what's going on with the animal and what we can do to make them better. You know, as, as I'm sure you're aware, I mean, most veterinary appointments are maybe plus minus 20 minutes. Um, and, you know, there's, there's only so much you can get done in that period of time. Right. So, um, so, you know, we, we, we work a little slower than your average veterinary hospital, but I like to think that we're um, a bit more thorough and more effective because of it. Yeah, no, that's, that's cool. And, and, Looking back on veterinarian appointments, it's usually when you're actually talking to the veterinarian, it's way less than that. It's usually the vet tech that's doing a lot of the heavy lifting, which is normal. Yep. Um, but a lot of that is is, is general information, uh, prescriptions, uh, any questions, and the veterinarian's in and out. So I like that. I actually recently went to a holistic vet here in my area, and that's that's about what the what they range. We did some. I have an older dog, and um, obviously arthritis. Uh, so we did a lot of. Um, acupuncture, chiropractic stuff, really cool stuff. So, um, cool. So, so it seems to me like a lot of the stuff that you've said, I would assume, I don't know for sure, but I would assume that a lot of the patients that you're seeing, are they older, usually senior pets or, or injuries? You know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a range. I mean, certainly we see quite a lot of older senior animals. Uh, you know, we also see, um, you know, we just, just, kind of middle of the road age-wise animals that have some sort of injury or something's come up. And then we have people that are just very proactive and they, you know, and they're bringing in their young dogs because they just want to keep them as healthy as possible for as long as possible. So really, it, you know, it's, it's every end of the spectrum. Yeah. So it's like proactive and it's in, in the depths of dealing with some of the senior stuff that dogs naturally start to deal with. Right. So yeah, absolutely. What is okay. So one thing that really interests me the most is the diet. I really want to jump into that. So I, I know that the pet food industry in general, dogs, cats, and I'm sure others, it's very, um, it's, it's in the dark, if you will. That's the way I like to say it is, is we don't, including myself, uh, we just don't know a lot about it. And I know that there's been some documentaries and there's been some efforts from different people trying to educate people on it. And, um, that's something that really interests me. So if, if you, if you don't mind, I'd really like to, to jump into that. Like what is, if you were to, my listeners are going to be, okay, I have a dog. What, what's the first thing you would tell them that, that really they need to start paying attention to and looking for? And nutrition. Well, you know, as you know, as I said earlier, um, the foundation of good health is nutrition. Um, you know, you just—it's just very, very difficult for a biological system to stay in optimal health if if it's eating things that are not good for them. So that's where it all starts. And and you know, I mean, on the one hand, you know, nutrition is quite complicated. Um, but but from another you know you, from another facet, it's actually pretty simple in the sense that you don't need a PhD in nutrition to understand that that the closer that we eat or our pets eat to a fresh whole food diet, the healthier they're likely to be. I mean, we all know this from our own health that we should be eating fresh foods. We shouldn't be eating processed foods. Um, you know, there is no animal on the planet that evolved eating food out of a bag or a can. Um, our bodies, their bodies, 
they evolved over millions of years to survive and thrive on very specific nutrient profiles. And those nutrient profiles are found in fresh foods. Um, so that's where it really all starts. Now, when you look at the vast majority of pet food that is out there, either kibble or canned, you are talking about what is by definition highly processed food. Um, you know, if you're going to take fresh food ingredients and you are going to make them shelf stable for two plus years, frequently you have to do stuff mm -hmm. to that food that is not necessarily ultimately in the best interest of whomever is going to be eating it. Um, and, you know, so what happens is, is nutrients are lost in, in, in the processing. And furthermore, because of the high heat and high pressure involved with making food, uh, with making processed foods, you wind up creating chemical compounds that actually are well known to be harmful to the pet. So these are, um, these are bagged foods that you find in stores. These are canned foods. This is what you're talking about, right? Just every yeah, dog just, food. just every day off the shelf, dry food, canned food. And, and to be clear, you know, there are higher quality foods than others, and the higher quality foods are certainly using better ingredients. But at the end of the day, processed food is processed food, and there's only so good it can be. Right. Um, so, you know, processed foods frequently promote inflammation. They're not providing the animal with the ideal spectrum of nutrients that they need. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're creating as many problems as they're solving. You know, from the standpoint of mm. convenience, they're great. From the standpoint of do they have a nutrient profile that's going to prevent them from, say, getting a nutrient like a vitamin or mineral deficiency? Absolutely. You know, I mean, that, you know, they're not going to get some sort of deficiency from, from dry food or canned food. But it's a difference of, you know, do we want to talk about adequate nutrition or do we want to talk about optimal mm. nutrition? Yeah. So optimal nutrition is always going to be fresh foods. So fresh foods in, in animals can look like a number of things. Uh, certainly there's a lot of products you can buy now, frozen raw food, frozen cooked food. There are freeze-dried fresh foods that are very, very good, um, minimally processed. There are dehydrated fresh foods um, that are maybe not as good as, say, the actual fresh food, but way better than kibble yep. or canned. Right. So, so I think at the end of the day, you know, the 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 nut to all of this is people have to, you know, it's a, it's a question of finding what is the highest quality diet that you can that that is that works. For you in a way that's sustainable for the long term. So whether you're buying it, whether you're making it, um, obviously whatever you do, it has to be something that you can do for the long term. Right. And that's going to be different for everybody based on you know availability of time and money. Yeah. And I think the two things that I think of as a dog owner myself is resources and being overwhelmed with what to do and what not to do. And I think sure. what you're saying is is keep it simple. And, and I even wrote down here fresh over anything because it sounds like if you want to do raw, you could do raw. If you want to do cooked, you can do cooked. But at the end of the day, it's less processed, fresh food, whether it's dehydrated or frozen or flash frozen or whatever. That's that's the key here. That, that is the key. All of it with the caveat of whatever you're feeding, it does need to be properly nutritionally balanced. 
So for example, you can't just put meat and vegetables in a bowl and call it good. <laughs> like it, it has to be, it has to be balanced or you will get into trouble over time. Okay. Got it. All right. That's that, that makes sense. And for me, I, uh, I just, I want to give you a little bit, bit of background of how I kind of got into some of the nutrition space. And, um, and, and I, like I said before, I think the, as a dog owner, it's, I think we know in the back of our head, yes, I want my animal to eat good, healthy, fresh food, but you can't just go to the pet store. And, and now I think now it's becoming better. I think it's, there's more education. I think there's more, there's more options out there, um, but it is it is very difficult to to find resources for most dog owners. So when you when you talk about uh, what what is the difference uh, from the research and from your side of your side of I, I guess your position as as a, as somebody who really spends a lot of time in dealing with nutrition. So raw food uh, doesn't necessarily raw food is 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 raw food. It doesn't have to be raw meat or raw this that. It can be uncooked vegetables, uncooked fruit, things that aren't processed. Is that, is that fair to say as far as raw? Uh, sure. I mean, you know, raw is, you know, by definition, not cooked. Um, and raw food, you know what? I mean, uh, most dogs and cats do great on raw food. Every now and again, you get one that maybe doesn't digest it as well and does better on cooked. Uh, and that's fine. There are also sort of non-medical reasons why sometimes cooked food is better. Uh, like as a, for example, if people have small children in the house, um, there's always a concern about cross-contamination when you're, when there's, when there's raw food around. So, you know, small children, people who are immune compromised, you know, maybe for those folks looking at say a cooked diet would be, would be a better way to go. Um, but again, I mean, one way or the other fresh, minimally processed is, is what we're looking to achieve. Okay. And what you're saying is, is don't go out, buy a raw hamburger, stick it in a bowl with some blueberries and, and call it a day. Right. I mean, you, you have to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You can't, you, you know, you can't do that and expect things to go well in the long term. And I think again, it's, it's resources. So, because it, it's overwhelming there, it all makes sense. Hey, you know, like exactly like you said, I don't, I don't want to, to go out and eat processed food every day myself or at all my dog has no choice. I mean, we are their shepherd, if you will. They, they, they can't say, Hey mom. I mean, they can, if they get sick, but they can't say, Hey mom and dad, I'm, I'm really feeling like crap. Um, you might not notice it because they're excited to go play fetch, but obviously in, in your field and what you, you see long-term, you definitely see, um, some of the effects leading up to these things. But in the middle, if your dog is a, a three-year-old dog, just eating kibble, they don't know what's right or wrong. And so, what can what can they do? What what do you recommend for people who are looking to get into more of a healthy raw raw diet? Well, you know, I mean, I think at the end of the day, as I said before, you have to do what's sustainable. So so you know, not surprisingly, raw frozen raw or frozen cooked diets that you would buy at the pet store or online, they're going to be more expensive than say like the dry food that you're probably currently buying. So, you know, question number one is, is, is the cost, does it work in your life? Right. Um, you know, I mean, if it's something that you're going to have to mortgage the house over, then no, that you, you know, you can't do that. Um, so, so it may be that we have to look at other options. So other options might be, you look at making food, you know, if you make fresh food, be it raw or cooked from a properly balanced recipe, you can absolutely do it significantly less expensive 
than um, than if you were going to buy it ready to feed. Um, but you know, like many things in life, and you know, with that, it's a question of you're balancing your money and your time. Uh, you know, you're gonna you're gonna spend more time making it yourself, but you're gonna save some money. So it just depends on you know what is more valuable at this moment in your life, right. your money or your time. Um, and then you know, I mean, understandably also this may not be a doable option for everybody. And what I would suggest people do in that regards is feed as much fresh food as you can, even if you wind up needing to feed some dry food or some canned food along with it. I mean, again, think about it like through a person's health, you know, just because you may not be able to eat a well-balanced fresh food diet every meal of the day, that doesn't mean you should just live at McDonald's. Right. There is there is a there is a medium here. Sure. There's a there's a middle ground, and and it's just a question of feed them as much fresh food as you can. Yeah, that makes sense. So I want to I want to give you my experience with raw food really quick, just to give my my listeners context as they're listening, because I get asked this all the time. I mean, we have a we have a big outreach of people that we provide education with, whether it's on social media or it's at our facility. And one thing I get all the time is, what do you feed your dogs? And I feed completely raw. So I have a pre-mixed frozen tube of food that I get. Um, all of the animals that are harvested for my food were made for or, or I'm sorry, they were grown on the farm to be harvested for dog food. It's not uh, roadkill. It's not second secondhand butcher shop stuff. So it's really good stuff. And I do usually three different proteins. I do duck, chicken, and beef. And um, it has everything in it from the vegetables to the minerals to all of the supplements that are in there. Um, and it's got this long list of things. And one of my dogs had a, a really bad hot spots when they were a puppy. And so I went mm -hmm. to this holistic vet in, in my area. It was the first time I, I met her. And uh, she said, I think you should switch food. Uh, you, you know, your dog is eating X. And, and, and I personally believe into this raw diet. And I think you should look into it too. So we started feeding raw food. Hot spots went away. But one thing that really made me switch was the simplicity of getting pre-made food if you're lucky enough to do that. Because, of course, there are certain companies all over the world, not just the United States, because we have listeners from all over that make it easier. Like you said, it's, it, it is a little bit more expensive than the higher end dog food, you know, the blue buffaloes and some of the higher dog food that's more expensive. But, um, I guess my point is, is I have a St. Bernard. He is, uh, he's now 12 years old and, uh, which is old for St. Bernard. So that's the first thing. So that's cool. Hurrah. Uh, but the other thing is, is when he would go out, he'd eat, he'd eat anywhere from four cups a day when he was a younger dog. And he would also poop four cups a day. Right. And right when I switched to raw food, things changed. So we went from four cups of going in, coming out to three pounds ish per day, minimalizing his stool to nothing, hardly, you know, anything. It was almost like scat, like, like a, like a wild yeah. animal or like a, like an owl or something. It was very like a pellet. And, um, mm -hmm. and that's when I realized that everything that he was eating before is coming out. And now that I'm feeding him raw, I'm feeding him just as much amount, but hardly anything's coming out. And that really was the reason why I said I'm switching to raw food. That was really sure. cool. So for, for that's my experience, but if somebody came up to you and said, and I know that, I know that you've 
you've done this a lot. You've been doing this for a lot of times and you probably get the same question. So forgive me if I ask you some of these redundant questions that you're probably sick of, of telling people. But um, I think it's important for dog owners to know that if their dog can become healthier, they can. So what would be the biggest benefit between raw food and, and getting kibble that you go and buy in PetSmart? Um, you know what I mean? I think, I think the biggest benefit is just going to be a massive upgrade in, in their nutrition, both from the standpoint of what they're getting, um, but also what they're not getting. So, you know, one of the things about dry food, it is by definition, extremely high in carbohydrates, um, because it has to be, if you think about dry food as a baked good, which it effectively is, you can't really make a baked good without carbohydrates. So whether or not those carbohydrates are, are, you know, wheat, rice, what have you, or it's more of a grain free thing, where it's like potatoes and peas, it's still carbohydrates. And again, when we, you know, if you, if you go and you look at evolutionarily speaking, what is an ideal diet for a dog look like now to be clear, evolutionarily speaking, a dog is not a wolf. Right. They are not, they are not the same from the standpoint of what they need nutritionally. Um, and dogs are much better able to handle carbohydrates in their diet than say a wolf would be, but still, you know, an ideal diet for a dog may be 10 or possibly 15% carbohydrates. Uh, if you look at most kibble, you're talking about 50 or 60% carbohydrates. And I think we all know from our own health, what happens when we eat a lot of carbs, it's not, it's not what our bodies were designed for. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I often liken it to, to your car. You know, your car is designed to run on a very specific type of gas and a very specific type of motor oil. And if you put a different kind of gas and motor oil in there, it may be that your car still runs, but it's not going to run as well as it should. And, and, you know, that's the same is true with a biological system. Can they get by with nutrients that are not necessarily ideal? Sure. Biology is incredibly forgiving in that sense, but it will catch up with them. You know, the, 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 the piper will have to be paid at some point. Um, and usually what that manifests as is either some kind of medical problem or a shortened lifespan or both. Yeah, and a lot of things in between would be behavior, energy, um, yeah. just quality of life, right? I mean, like you All said, if you're, if you're going out and you're uh, spending time on locally sourced uh, produce and you're eating healthy, and um, you're going to feel better. You're gonna, you're, yes. your, your behavior will change even. And, and I know that there's a lot of studies. I listen to a lot of different podcasts about just eat, what you eat, what you eat is what you are. And dogs don't have that choice. And, and I think too, the, the kibble industry and then the, the, the canned industry, I guess, or I mean, they're probably one and the same, but it, there's also a lot of things in there that I've, that I've realized that dog owners have no idea about like poisons and uh, all sorts of crazy stuff. And the amount of sugar that's in some of this food is, is, is insane, which is yeah. very interesting. So, so as far as the benefits go from, you know, the average dog owner standpoint, you can see the dog living longer, less, less problems with, I know you said one thing uh, that you said that's interesting is the, the, the inflammation that you see in, in processed food. Yeah. And that can lead to a ton of stuff, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, most chronic disease is, is the result of chronic inflammation, arthritis, chronic gastrointestinal issues, skin issues, even cancer. Mm. Cancer frequently arises from chronic inflammation. So all of that stuff has its root in inflammation. And when, you know, when you have a choice, when you eat, like if you're, if you're feeding your dog, these highly processed foods that are high in carbohydrates, you're giving them nutrients and you're giving them chemical compounds that promote inflammation. Whereas if you feed them an appropriate fresh food diet, you're giving them chemical compounds that naturally decrease inflammation. You know, I mean, again, like you don't necessarily need a PhD in nutrition to understand this. You do need a PhD in nutrition to properly balance a diet. Um, but the good news is, is that stuff is out there available for us already, either purchased ready to feed or a recipe that you, that you make food from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes sense. And I, and I think one question I get along with, I feed raw. And then it, the next question is, is, well, we can eat raw or I'm sorry, we can't eat raw. Dogs can eat raw. Why, why can, why can a dog eat a, a chicken leg raw and eat the bone and all, but humans uh, can get sick and get all sorts of diseases and things like that. I mean, what would be your answer to that question from a dog owner's standpoint? Sure. And, and, you know, I mean, honestly, that, that argument is a lot of where the veterinary profession on the whole uh, has sort of staked their ground mm -hmm. as far as their opposition to raw food. It's dangerous. Um, Great point. The reality is, is that most dogs and cats are far more resistant to foodborne pathogens than we as people are. Uh, you know, I mean, your average dog can eat a raw chicken wing and be perfectly happy about it. If I ate a raw chicken wing, it would very likely not go well. <laughs> um, you know, people do not do well with E. coli and salmonella and campylobacter. And that's not to say that dogs can't get a tummy upset from these things, but like, honest to God, clinical foodborne illness is really uncommon. Uh, and furthermore, if you're buying a product that is made commercially, most of the good companies that make commercial raw foods take a lot of precautions to make sure that the food is free of foodborne pathogens before it leaves their facility. Now that's a little bit different if you're gonna be making it yourself uh, you know, there is a little bit more of a concern if you're making it yourself. And as I mentioned before, there is also an at least theoretical concern about the possibility of cross-contamination from the dog to people. So, I mean, you still have to use appropriate caution. Um, but that said, you know, a dog getting legitimately sick from foodborne illness uh, from raw food, not necessarily from getting into the trash per right. se, but from raw food, it's pretty rare. And and a, and a lot of that is, from my understanding, is they have they, their stomach and their digestive system. They have more acid. They have they have they have the things that they need because of their animals to break these things down. So wh what is it about a, a dog's uh, stomach that that differs from our? I mean, is that true? Because that's what I've read, learned. I mean, you asked different people you get different you know, answers I, mean, I don't know that there is definitively more acid per se i mean i think it again it comes back to 
you know, you look at what, what dogs and cats have evolved to eat in the wild. And while certainly they are hunters and will bring stuff down, they will also eat dead stuff. Mm -hmm. They'll eat, they'll eat carrion. They'll eat things that have been sitting there for a while. And, and, you know, yeah, they love it. Over over millions of years, they've they've learned how to produce the enzymes that they need to. They've learned how to maintain the GI flora that they need to to deal with this kind of stuff. Right. We as people, um, you know, uh, it, it may be that that tens of thousands of years ago, that's something that we could have done as well. But you know, civilization has largely eliminated that kind of stuff from our diet and as such our bodies are just flat out not accustomed mm -hmm. to having to manage that kind of thing yeah so yeah because that's 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 always the question i get is is dog owners just don't understand that there's there's a big difference between how animals process food and how, how we process food and and i did a, i spent a lot of time with wolves and and how that they um more about to just read their behavior um and they don't chew most of the time they rip and they gargle it down and it goes yeah. in like the feast of famine type thing. And, um, and I know that that's, that's, that's an important question. That's why I'm asking you this question and getting more insight on it because that's, that's worrisome to most people's. They don't want to make their dog sick. So, you know, I, I gave a chicken, a whole chicken leg to a, to my dog one time and just let him eat it on the, you know, on their, in their crate. And people are just like, what the heck? They can't do that. I'm like, yes, I can. Yeah, they can. But, you know, that said, if people are concerned about raw food for whatever reason, then feed fresh cooked food. It's yeah. fine. You know, they, like there's there's no downside there. There's not a whole lot, if any, real daylight between a lightly cooked diet and a raw food diet. Mm -hmm. um, you know, dogs do great on those diets. So, I mean, for people that are uncomfortable with raw for whatever reason, do lightly cooked. Yeah. Yeah, and so if, if you're thinking about your dog food at home, you're thinking about the things that are marketed on the bag, right? You're if you look at the dog food bags, it's it's you know, just like any other marketing, it's it's a little bit of trickery, but you're looking at the 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 nicely sliced turkey or chicken and the blueberries and and the things that are floating in the air. Those are the types of things you wanna just say, Hey, I got some turkey laying around it. That's the type of stuff that you we wanna be feeding your dog instead of things that you can go to the grocery store and get right now, right? It's true. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So one, one thing that I have found too, uh, in this topic of, cause I, I just know what works for my dogs. I have a s almost 17 year old mix. And like I said, I have a 12 year old St. Bernard, uh, some other dogs too, but I mean, those are, it's, it's good. And, and a lot of that, in my opinion, has their diet, how they feel. My 12 year old St. Bernard still acts like a puppy. And I think a lot of that is their diet. I, I had a client that had a 12 year old, uh, German shepherd obviously, um, tired, um, sore, arthritic, and she mm -hmm. switched, and, and this is a God honest truth. She switched from kibble to raw food and her dog started actually moving around a lot better because of the inflammation, um, and, and everything that, that comes with the, the hydration and, and all the nutrients that's packed with the raw food that I particularly supplies. So one thing that I, I run into sometimes because I, I don't know is like you said before, you already mentioned this, you touched base on it, is another veterinarian say you should never do that because of X, Y, and Z. Now, my rebuttal to that is, and I always play devil's advocate, is, well, is it because they, A, don't know about the raw food diet that much, um, and they can't say whether it's good or bad, or is it because there's science diet in their back pockets paying them to push their food in their front lounge? 
What's your take on on why some veterinarians will completely say never do it? It's terrible, and then others love it. You know what? I think that um, I think that the truth lies somewhere between both of those things. Um, certainly, there is a lack of understanding uh, about the benefits of of fresh foods um, because. You know, quite frankly, I mean, running those kinds of studies would be expensive and who's going to pay for it? Right. Um, you know, that's part of it. You know, the other piece of it is, 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 you know, just about every veterinarian I know and every veterinarian I have ever met is 100% sincere in their approach to animal care. Um, everybody's doing it from the heart. Nobody is knowingly right giving out bad information or doing you know and or telling people things that they shouldn't be telling them because there's money to be made however you know you do have to realize the kind of influence that the pet food industry has on the veterinary industry so for example when i was in veterinary school every student got a free bag of science diet every month. <laughs> every student got a free bag of, uh, of IMS every month. You know, these, the, the reps for these companies are in and out of veterinary offices all of the time. They're, you know, and they're, they're, they're always in a veterinarian's ear, whether it's at a conference or in a journal or at a, or, or, or in their office. Um, so that's, what's always put in front of them. So that's, that's what they know. And that's what they're comfortable with. And if I, you know, and if I'm being honest, most veterinarians don't get much by way of nutrition education in vet school. Right. It's just not something they spend a lot of time on. And as such, it's much easier to just kind of knee jerk and say, well, feed them science diet. Oh, your cat has kidney disease, put them on KD um, and call it good. So like I say, it's not coming from any sort of sinister place on the veterinarian's part. But, you know, if you can say one thing about the pet food industry, um, they are remarkably effective at, at creating and sustaining brand loyalty, um, particularly in the veterinary world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They've done a great job at that. Yeah, they sure have. And that's something that I've, I've, I've taken notice to for sure. And it's the same thing. What I have really started to look at was also the veterinarian, uh, behavioral stuff too. It's the same thing where a lot of veterinarians, um, it, it almost sounds like the same template is it, a lot of veterinarian schools don't actually have a particular class on behavior. And if they do, it's something, cause I really, really enjoy dog behavior, canine behavior in general. And it's something that they just don't, they really don't have a lot of courses for it in school. And if they do, it's very minimal. I think we looked it up a couple of years ago and it was, there was like three different schools, three big schools, I should say that allocated, I think a week of behavioral stuff on going into a room with a coat on and trying to handle a dog that really doesn't want to be handled and what they should be doing. Sure. So a lot of that is the easy route out is to say, Hey, I think the responsible thing would be is here's a card for a trainer. But a lot of what I've seen is here's a bottle of, of pills when, when you're two year old, um, German Shedder Pointer doesn't stop running around the room. Here's what I know how to do, which is give you this mm -hmm. this per prescription about it. But anyway, that's a, that's besides the point. So one thing that I've also seen with um, something that I've really been focusing on too is dental health is really big too. So when you're feeding kibble every single day, or even wet food or both, dental health plays a really big part in an animal in everybody's behavior. 
physical um, health, right? I mean, that's a big part of keeping an animal healthy is, is dental hygiene. Yep. And so when you're feeding raw, you get bones and you get, you get all of that natural cleaning, if you will. You absolutely do. And, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because one of the things that frequently veterinarians will tell people is, you know, you need to feed your dog kibble because it's better for their teeth. Um, that's a, that's a, a, that's a common, common thing that people hear when they go to the veterinarian, but I would agree with you. Um, I can almost always tell when I have a dog come into my office that um, that the people are giving it raw bones. I can always tell you, almost always tell you which dog that is because their teeth are immaculate. Right. Um, and and I am very much a proponent of of preventative dental health and brushing your dog's teeth and all of that. Um, but that said, um, you know, giving a dog an appropriate sized raw bone to chew on periodically can work magic on on pulling tartar off and keeping their gums healthy. Yeah. I've seen that. We get these, um, from the same guy who does my raw food, we get these, what they call soft bones. It's like a femur type bone and it, it breaks down, not like a rawhide, but it breaks down and it kind of flosses. It gets in there and it really gets tartar build up. Yeah. It's important for people to realize though, that like when you say raw bone, you legitimately mean raw bone. Mm-hmm. So in other words, something that when you buy it, it's either refrigerated or frozen. So not the bones that are like sitting in the bin at the pet store. Yeah. Um, but bones like that or like antlers or whatnot, I have seen countless dogs break teeth on those things. Yeah. They are too hard and they will break teeth on them. So not those. It what, has to be raw. Yeah. What about, uh, great, great point. So the marrow bones. It, my, what I used to do, and I don't do it anymore because I get these new raw bones, but what I used to do is I'd go to the butcher, I'd get a marrow bone and, um, I would get all the fat out cause it would create terrible diarrhea cause it's just all fat and oil. Now those would be, uh-huh. are those something that you should be heating up or how, how would you, I, I guess my question is, is for everyday dog owner, they say, Hey, my dog's teeth suck. I want to go out and get a raw bone. Like what you're talking about. What, what can they go out and look for at the store or something? Sure. Well, I mean, for starters, it depends on how bad their teeth are. Um, there is a there is a point of no return after which they need a dental cleaning and they may need some extraction. So it's not like a raw bone is going to right. fix deep and severe periodontal disease. Again, it's a preventative measure. Like if if the disease is already there, then that's a that's a different that's a different story. But but to your question. Uh, you know, a lot of pet stores these days um, sell frozen raw bones, whether it's like a, whether it's like a, a like a bone or it's like a, like a chicken neck or a turkey neck or something like that. Those are great for smaller dogs that they can kind of crunch their way through them. Alternatively, if you have a you know a store with a uh, with a decent butcher counter. Um, they may be able to, to, to get some bones for you, whether or not it's like a rib bone. I mean, if it's going to be a femur, those are usually quite, quite large. So, um, what I would normally suggest, and this only would work for a pretty large dog, but you, if you can get the butcher to, to cut it in half lengthwise, so basically split it open, um, that would certainly be the better way to do it. And, and as it pertains to the marrow, um, yeah, there's a kind of like this balance between there's a lot of really healthy nutrition in marrow, 
but it is a lot of fat. Mm. Um, and sometimes a lot of fat for a dog spells diarrhea. So you have to kind of figure out what, what your, what your individual dog can, can tolerate. Um, because needless to say, you don't want, you know, you don't yeah. want them having diarrhea all over the place. Yeah. I'm pretty sure what my, my guy does is he cuts the femurs in, in like quarters. So when I get them, they're like, you know, the size of this coffee cup, they're like small and they just right. grind it down and they chew it up and they, they absolutely, and it's got some meat still left on. So they're actually in the freezer. So they're wonderful. Perfect. They're wonderful. Right. What, um, what, this may be a silly question, but say you buy a puppy from uh, a breeder or you get a puppy, whatever, and they're on food. A, can you, can you get a puppy to raw? And that's more of a general question for the audience. And then the other thing, which I'm interested in is at what point, um, what's the best way to transition? I mean, you don't want to just go kibble to raw cause that could right. not be fun for. Right. So, um, you know, to your question of, can you put a puppy on raw food? Um, you know, I've, I've, I've mentioned a couple of times how important a properly balanced diet is. Um, and, and the nutritional requirements of a puppy are different than the nutritional requirements of an adult. And that's especially true if you're talking about a large breed dog. Um, so the, uh, the one sort of little hang up is to my knowledge, there is not a commercially available raw food diet that is specifically formulated for puppies or potentially large breed puppies. Um, which means that if you want them on raw when they're young, you got to make it yourself. Mm. Um, and, and certainly, again, you can do that off of a recipe that is specifically balanced for either puppies or large breed puppies. And if you have a large breed puppy like, you know, Labrador or larger, you really want to make sure they're eating large breed puppy food. Um, Does that mean that like... Can... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Does that mean what would make a large food versus a regular more fat more carbs like what is it uh so so the the thing about large breed dogs or large breed puppies as as you have seen as a saint bernard owner mm -hmm. is they grow extremely fast so what winds up happening is there's 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 too much of certain nutrients in regular puppy food so for example if you feed um, if you feed a large breed puppy too many calories and or too much calcium at early stages, what will wind up happening is it will change the way that their bones form, uh, and they'll wind up putting on more weight than they should too early. And what you wind up with is orthopedic disease. You wind up with bad hips, bad elbows, these sorts of things. Um, so, so like regular puppy food is not really ideal for a large breed puppy food. Some people have tried to use adult food for large breed puppies, but that has its own set of problems because adult food's not really quite calorically dense enough. So in order, so that means that the large breed puppy is going to eat more of that food in order to grow. But if they eat that much food, then they're getting too much calcium and too much of other nutrients. So it's, it's very difficult to balance out unless you're doing specifically a large breed food. Um, and again, there is not a large breed puppy or a, any, there is not any formulated puppy food that I'm aware of that you can buy in a fresh food format, whether it's cooked or raw. 
So you kind of have to make it yourself. The alternative is that you feed them a very high quality kibble um, until they're seven or eight months old, and then you transition them over to fresh food then. Because at that point you can put them on, um, you can put them on a raw diet. Um, so to your other question, as far as like, how do you transition them? Um, you know, the, the, the nut to that is slowly, uh, you know, it is going to take a pretty significant digestive adjustment to go from processed kibble to raw food. So, you know, if you switch them just instantly, basically you're just asking for a dog that has a tummy upset. Mm. Um, and also some dogs, if they're very used to eating dry food, they won't necessarily be that overjoyed with the raw food at first. They kind of got to get used to it. So the way that you do it is you add a little bit of the new food to the old food. Right. And every day you add a little bit more and you take away a little bit of the old food. And whether you do that over the course of a week or 10 days or two weeks, you know, you do it however, you know, at whatever speed you feel like is appropriate. And what you're doing as you're doing that is you're giving your dog a chance to digestively adjust so that they can deal with the raw food and assimilate that properly um, as you kind of work them away. And, and, and you're also getting them used to and, and comfortable with raw food as opposed to kibble just, just in general. Because again, you know what, dogs and cats are very much habit, uh, you know, creatures of habit and routine. Um, so anything that's out of their routine is sometimes met with a little bit of suspicion. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I've seen that in puppies. And one thing, uh, I think one last thing, I know we're running out of time here. Uh, we'll talk about your book in a second. And then what I, the only thing I saw when I got the inquiry of, of, of talking to you and having you onto the podcast was like the raw food thing. I got really excited about that. I've been waiting for somebody to hop on. So I appreciate all that information. But I also saw on there, was it medical marijuana or marijuana in general? What did I see about that? Is that right? Yeah. So uh, I've been very active sort of in the, in, the, in the field of medical cannabis for animals. Uh, you know, I think we all know by now that, that there are absolutely medical benefits to cannabis mm -hmm. um, that, are, that, that are seen in people and they are certainly seen in animals as well. Uh, you know, much like perhaps the raw food thing, uh, the veterinary industry has been somewhat slow to, mm. to adopt this, to kind of get on board with this. And from a regulatory standpoint, uh, it's problematic um, as far as like what veterinarians are allowed to say and are allowed to do. Uh, so I'm, the, uh, I'm one of the co-founders of a nonprofit called the Veterinary Cannabis Society. And really what our, what our mission is, is to educate veterinarians, educate pet owners, make sure that the products that are out there are safe and marketed properly, and to work with, um, with veterinary medical boards and legislators to make sure that the landscape is such that veterinarians effectively are allowed to do our job in so much as I'm allowed to talk to you about how cannabis can or can't benefit your pet and how to do it safely. Wow. So we're not talking about CBD. We're talking about cannabis, or we are. No, we're talking about the whole thing. So CBD, like hemp-based CBD, but also like more full-spectrum, high, higher THC products. There are medical applications for both, um, you know, and 
some products work better for some things versus others. So again, that comes back to education mm -hmm. uh, and people understanding what the difference is and why one may work better for one thing versus another. Makes sense. And right now, and I know this is probably a, 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 a longer question than we have time for maybe, but is it the same benefits as you would see with people? Yeah, it's all the same benefits that you would see with people, um, you know, pain, gastrointestinal, anxiety, you know, all the same kind of stuff that you would see people take cannabis for. You know, if people um, are interested in learning more, um, they can go to the Veterinary Cannabis Society website. It is vcs.pet. So Veterinary Cannabis Society, vcs.pet. So pretty easy to remember. Um, and there's lots of information there for people if, if they want to right. learn more. Now it's, yeah, and, and all of this, all the stuff that we've talked about is, is in your book, correct? Everything, you want to just plug that a little yeah. bit, talk about your book? Yeah, absolutely. So there's actually a whole chapter on cannabis in the book, um, but the book, it's called The Ultimate Pet Health Guide. Uh, and really, I wrote it from the perspective of, let me sit down and essentially put on paper all of the stuff that I talk with clients about every day in my office. So nutrition, herbal therapy, um, a whole host of medical conditions, whether it's arthritis, kidney disease, cancer, what have you, um, and really kind of dive into the, what does this disease really mean? How do you treat it with Western medicine? How do you treat it with alternative medicine? And how do you integrate it all together uh, to get the best results? Um, so there's, you know, there, there's a, a, a very extensive discussion about all of these different uh, medical conditions. And then there's also information in there about, about vaccinations and kind of general wellness care. There's 50 recipes, 25 for dogs and 25 for cats uh, in the book. Uh, so so it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's a wealth of information. It's sort of like a total brain dump uh, on my part as far as I just wanted to get all that information out there so people had it um, when they needed it. Um, and really kind of, you know, so, so the book, The Ultimate Pet Health Guide, it's, it's available on Amazon. You can get it as a book. You can get it as an ebook. Um, and that kind of led into me starting to look at formulating supplements, uh, you know, supplements to, to, do, to both kind of up-level the nutrition for animals, as well as to address specific conditions. So arthritis, anxiety, skin problems, liver detox, these sorts of things. Um, and, and we've even, at, at this point, we've even come out with a freeze-dried raw food. Ooh. Again, trying to make things real easy for people. Uh, you know, you know my, my goal is to have everybody take the best possible care of their pet. And clearly, we are all busy. Uh, we've all got a lot of stuff going on. So I'm, I'm doing everything I can to make it as easy as possible for people all of that stuff um, can be found at uh, ultimatepetnutrition.com. And you sell your, uh, your, your raw food on that site? Yeah, so the freeze-dried raw food, all of the supplements, um, uh, it's all available on ultimatepetnutrition.com. Uh, so, uh, you know, if people are, are interested in that or they're looking for a real easy way to get their dog switched over to raw food, freeze-dried is a super convenient way to do it. 
Um, and the nice thing about it is, is it doesn't have to be refrigerated or frozen. So mm. saves you on freezer space as well. So again, try to make stuff, try to make it as easy as possible for people to take the best care of their pets. That's great. I love it. And that's, uh, is that the, the raw, raw food that we're talking about? Or is that, is that, how did you f- freeze it? I guess, is it going to be raw? So it's, it's, it's freeze dried. So it's raw food. Like, like you would feed frozen raw food. Right. And then it goes into a, a machine and essentially what it does is at very cold temperatures, it creates a vacuum. And what the vacuum does is it sucks all the moisture out of the food. So it never heats up. It's never cooked. I mean, it's not so dehydrated is basically when you, when you heat things up and the water cooks off, mm-hmm. this is not that this is, this is done at very cold temperatures. So it's, it's minimally processed. But the upside of it is, is it, like I say, it's, it's shelf stable. It doesn't need to be refrigerated um, because it's freeze dried. It's, it's, it's very, very light. It weighs almost nothing. So like if you're going on a road trip with your dog, it's the easiest thing in the world to do to pack the stuff. You don't have to pack a cooler. That's huge. Uh, it makes life real, real easy. That's huge. That's huge. I, that's great to know. I appreciate that. All right. I'm going to sure. link, I'm going to link that in the description for everybody. Uh, awesome. any, anything else before we take off? Gosh, that was a lot that we covered. Um, I guess, I guess what I would leave people with is, is kind of what I started with, which is, you know, the, the foundation of good health and a long life for your pet is, is optimizing their nutrition. You know, it's like, it's like building the foundation of a house. You really can't build a house until you do that. Everything else you do, you know, supplements, herbs, medications, it's all built on that foundation. So put that solid foundation in first and everything else will flow from there. Beautiful. Makes a lot of sense. Well, Gary, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I'm going to link everything in the description that we, that we spoke about. I'm going to order some of that food and give it a try. Thank you so much. Awesome. That sounds great. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. You, do, you too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.